Believer's baptism from Mark chapter number 1. This is something that's recorded in all four of our Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four record this. And so today we're going to be talking about this. So let's just dive into this today. Verse number 9 of chapter 1. All right, so here we go. And it came to pass in those days... That Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, stop there just for a moment. I'll keep reading. But I just want to let you know that Jesus was not baptized because he needed to be baptized. Jesus knew no sin, as we just sang about in the song, Jesus Messiah. He knew no sin. And so, why is he being baptized here? Because he is the sinless Son of God. The Bible talks about that all through Scripture. Instead, he was baptized to follow the will of the Father who told him to be obedient in this, and secondly, to identify himself with sinful humanity. That's why I want to give you those two points there. So Jesus didn't have to be baptized, and he also didn't have to die on a cross in our place, but he did both of those things to express his unity with fallen man, all right? Continue on. And immediately, that's the one, another one of Mark's favorite words, immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Now, if you stop there for a moment and, you, and, and, you, and we can flip over to, to the book of Luke, which also tells us about this, a little different perspective. Luke chapter 3, verse number 22 says about this. It says, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. So it was a literal dove that came and landed upon him. Now, doves are gentle. They're not a a, a predatorial bird. They they are very gentle. They're non-threatening, and it represents the the gentle, uh, faithful work of the Holy Spirit in the life of our Lord, all right? Verse number 11, then a voice came from heaven. Now, that's spooky, right? Come on, right? When do you hear that? You know, if you're hearing voices, we need to get you medicated, right? I mean, who's, I'm being serious, right? I mean, I just don't hear voices all the time. And so who does that? But here is one of these occasions, should I say glorious occasions, when our Father, God the Father, spoke audibly from heaven. And it's one of very few times, it's a rare occasion that we find this happening in the Bible. It would be so easy just to hear God's voice, right? Come on, say it, yeah. But God doesn't speak very often that way, and he never has. But on occasion, he did. And here is one of those occasions. Um, and, And also, he said here what? You are my beloved son. He's not talking about John. The the baptizer, he's talking about who? Jesus, who came to be baptized of John, who John, first of all, said, I'm not even worthy to unloose your, your your shoestrings on your sandals, let alone baptize you. And Jesus said, this must be done, all right? And so it's referring to Jesus. This is, and everybody heard it. It was spoken in a language, whatever the languages were. It could have been Aramaic. It could have been Hebrew. uh, It could have been the Greek language as well. Uh, we don't know, but it's whatever it was, they all heard it, specifically referring to Jesus as being my beloved son, talking about uh, God referring to him. 
And so we find here, if you just step back as an introductory to this thing, you find the Father speaking from heaven. You see in the Son in the water being baptized. And who else do we see? The Holy Spirit descending upon him in the, in the form of a dove. What do we call that in Christendom? It starts with a T, R, Trinity. Very good. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept is. And don't let that throw you because the word missions is not in the Bible, but the concept is. All right? And that's what we believe in. We believe not in three gods, but one God. Gen- uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We serve one God. We are monotheistic, all right, as Bible believers, all right? We serve one, one God. And so, so far in this precious book, just down to verse number 11 that we've been through thus far, what have we seen? We've seen that Jesus is the Son of God, verse number 1. We see that the prophet said that Jesus is is God, verse number 2 and 3. If you look down at verse number 2 and 3, now if you look down at verse number um, 7, 8, John the Baptist said that Jesus was the one after who is mightier than I, right? Verse number 7, 8. And then you have verse 10 and 11 today saying that God said, Jesus is my beloved son of God. Now, that's the review. In churches today, specifically Baptist churches, because we are Baptists, all right, in theology and practice, uh, there are two ceremonies that we practice. What we call church ordinances is the, the Lord's Supper, which a lot of people call communion. And we practice that occasionally here at the church, right? Jesus said, just do this in remembrance of me. The second ordinance that we practice here at the church, I bet you can guess it. Baptism. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verses 19, Go therefore into all the nations and preach the gospel to everyone, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This was given right before he sent it back to the Father. Uh, and that was his last words to his faithful followers. Yet, knowing that Jesus said this, uh, there are many believers for whatever reason, that do not follow the Lord in baptism. Yeah, many of you are shaking your head. It's true. And I thought, you know, in preparing this, that some of the excuses that I have heard, uh, one of them was, I wrote down, that they don't understand the importance of, 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 uh, of baptism and, uh, and the priority that Jesus places on water baptism. It is an urgent command. It is not a suggestion. If it's still up there, that is not a suggestion. It's not a question mark at the end of that. It is a statement. It is a command. Write that down. You say, Doug, but I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid that the pastor will hold me under the water too long. There's no excuse. Afraid of water, afraid of any phobias. Our God is greater than anything. Okay? And so I'm trying to just start out with that. Number two, I wrote down that, that some are more committed to, um, to tradition than to the Bible. Now, listen to me on this, and maybe they've belonged to a church that practiced or practices infant baptism, and they were baptized as an infant, and therefore, when they hear someone like me or any other Baptist that, that baptize in a form like we do here at Boulder Ridge Fellowship, um, 
it, it was, it's kind of like it brings a sense of uh, abandoning their tradition. It brings that sense to them. And they're not comfortable with that, all right? Infant baptism are great picture times. They're great for the family to get up and make it a big deal at, and go to church. And it's, it can be so cute and fuzzy and warm about those times, right? Right? Shake your head, yes. I mean, look at any infant baptism. I've never seen them coming in in their overalls and their old dirty clothes. I mean, everybody is dressed to the T, right? The makeup is perfect. The clothes are perfect. That little one is perfect. It is a big deal in some churches. Here at Boulderidge Fellowship, infant baptism, as you may know, is not practiced here. Although in the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church baptized infants by immersion uh, and by sprinkling. If you know anything about that, uh, maybe some of you have been in the, that church, and I, I know we do have some here that attend Boulder Ridge Fellowship uh, that are former you know, attendees of the Catholic Church. And uh, just wanted to let you know that if you didn't know that about them. The Catholic, I found this, the Catholic Council of Mila, M-E-L-A, made infant baptism law in the church in the year 416, 416 A.D., with the understanding that through water baptism, the infant was cleansed of original sin. Now, I, like the Catholic Church, believe in original sin. You say, Doug, what is original sin? Original sin is simply the sin of Adam that has been passed down to every person, whether it be boy or girl, it does not matter. Um, I believe that uh, we don't become a sinner after we sin. We are born sinners. You don't have to tell a, a toddler to be bad. You have to tell a toddler to be, you be good girl, you be good boy, right? You be good Why? Because the inherent, innate DNA born from daddy and mama Eve, all right, Uh, Adam and Eve, is a fallen, depraved nature. That's That's the, I agree with that. I preach that. We sin because we are born sinners. David said a statement like this, King David, if you remember in the Old Testament, he says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. That doesn't mean that she cheated on her husband. That means he understood that he was born a sinner, right? So understand, that's original sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, that all passed down to you and I. We can't escape it. It's just part of it. That's original sin. So the Roman Catholic theology asserts that if a baby is not baptized and dies, that baby goes to a place called the limbo of innocence. Limbo is traditionally held to be the place where the souls of babies go if they die before they are baptized. The baby will live forever enjoying a natural bliss without any vision of God, all right? The Vatican sources reported that back in April of 2007, the Pope overturned this belief, 
I found that, and I want to make it sure that it was up to date. I was still practicing that. And, and here, the church theologians had concluded that all children who uh, died, uh, who die, do so in the expectation uh, of the universal salvation of God and the meditation of Christ, whether baptized or not. And I thought in my mind, finally, after 800 years of, uh, of belief, now this belief is in line with Scripture. <laughs> Second Samuel, say, Doug, what do you mean? It's in, now it's in line of Scripture. Well, look at Second Samuel chapter number 12, verse number 23. Here, David speaks about his infant child that, was, that, was, that died, and he says this, But now he, the dead child, uh, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So does that mean that, that the baby went to hell? No, because David didn't go to hell, right? The Bible says in the New Testament that David was a man after God's very heart. Not perfect, but a godly king. I mean, big, big figure in the old, entire Old Testament. So what's that saying? That the baby went where? Was the baby baptized? Did the baby convert from its sinful ways? Did the baby have faith in God? No. Listen to me. Children are safe, not saved. Did you write that down? Children are safe, not saved. There comes a time when they will need to reach that age of accountability, when they know all the parameters and the ins and outs of eternality of punishment in hell. And you ask, a, you ask someone, what, what's the imputation of sin on your life of the child? And they'll look at you like, can I have some more macaroni and cheese? And we're going to put that little person in hell for eternity because they don't understand the concept yet. They're innocent. But one day, at some point, they will reach that age of accountability. I don't know that age. It could be at different, different times, right? We don't know. But we do know that they do go to God, and it's there in the Bible. And that's why I want to give you that verse, highlight that, cling to that. So if you know babies, uh, and, and, and man, it's terrible when they, when they pass on, right? No, they're in good hands. Did you hear me? They're in good hands. Don't worry about them. They're in good hands. I'll, say, I'll keep saying it again because I'm not going to back down off of that. Babies go to heaven. They're innocent. Some of you are getting it, all right? They're innocent. And so is Dave, the baby of, of, of King David as well. And I think that it's the hope and desire of every mother that has lost a baby through miscarriage to one day see that child again in heaven by the grace and the goodness of Almighty God. And so here at the church, obviously, we believe that the entrance into heaven has nothing to do with the baptism of an infant. Yet today, in Lutheran churches, Lutheran pastors will close their infant baptism ritual with this prayer. And here's the prayer. Almighty God hath begotten thee anew through water and through the Holy Spirit and has forgiven thee all thy sins. Amen. There's nothing found, ladies and gentlemen, in the New Testament that even hints of salvation other than by God's grace through our faith. Luke 3.22 says that some have asked, since I was baptized, Doug, 
do I need to be baptized again since I was baptized as an infant? And I would simply answer that question by saying, if you have not been baptized since your conversion, then you need to be baptized. If you have been baptized after your conversion and you are happy with your baptism, then I'm happy with your baptism. If you're not happy with your baptism after conversion, then I'd be glad to talk with you about rebaptizing if that's what you want to do. And I have done that on occasion with people that have been um, reached that age of accountability that I referred to earlier, and, and they may have been younger and really didn't understand all they were doing. They just saw some other people getting wet, and they wanted to get wet too. And we've had that with some children. They see another child that has reached an age of accountability, and they have a more understanding, but yet they at that point don't. And we find this often in children that have been in, in church surroundings. They often come to Christ much earlier than those who have no church background. And those folks that don't have the no, those children that don't have the no church background, they just see it being cool, and they want to get in the water and splash too. But that's not the child being baptized. That's not what they're not thinking that at all. And we have baptized some some folks that are younger, and they're still maybe even their elementary grades. But we've talked with the parents, and we've talked with the child. And uh, I would never ever do anything as far as baptism is concerned with a child unless first the parents are involved in it, and they need to have an understanding that, especially if they're believers. If they're unbelievers, we definitely need to have a conversation about what the child's wanting to do here and the reason and the motive behind it. Hope that clears up. So I think that sometimes if you were not, if you were not uh, baptized after your conversion, then be baptized. That's what the Bible says. It's not a suggestion. I think also as that pride keeps many believers from being baptized, they've gone so long not being baptized as a believer, and now they say, you know what, Doug, I'm just embarrassed to do this. Who am I at this age to be baptized? I've been a believer for this long, and I've I've not followed the Lord. I'm just just embarrassed over this. And, and, uh, you know, don't struggle over that. If, if If that's the case that you're in, Don't struggle. Don't let that be a hindrance to you. Don't let that be an obstacle, a roadblock for you being obedient to God. You're not being obedient to me or from a a denomination. You're being disobedient to God. We just read it, Matthew 28, verse number 19. Specifically, black and white says, be baptized. We can't get around that. Also, we believe that that some folks, you know, that, that have not, uh, you know, I, I, who should be baptized? Only those who have been, been converted in their faith. They were not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have not repented of their sins. And if they are baptized, then they're just getting wet. You're going in dry, you're coming out wet, and that's it. But as a believer, it's a whole different ballgame. It does not wash away sin. There's nothing special about the H2O. It's just water. What's special about it is the people that get in it. Jesus didn't die for the planet. He died for people. The building and the water and things like that is not special. You are. That's who God died for, not the brick, the wood, and the mortar. So never should anyone that's not a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus ever go through this thing of baptism with the false belief that they can somehow enter, enter heaven. And so we must be followers of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my 
commandment. And I already gave you one. What was it? Matthew 28, verse 19 was a command. Be baptized. So if there's no inward motivation to follow the Lord in this area, then I would suggest that it may be a sign of our true state. And what I mean by that is that it may be that baptism is one of the, you may think that baptism is one of the most basic commandments of Christian discipleship, and I would say a hearty amen to that. But if you're happy living in disobedience to God in this simple area, thinking that somehow it really doesn't matter, this is like an add-on, listen to me, and I want to say it, and I'm not going to apologize for it, you may not be saved. You don't have the fruit of salvation because you don't have the root of salvation. You're putting things before uh, the Lord. You're putting your self-phobias, your self-excuses. There should be nothing between you and God. Nothing. Follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Be obedient to this. This is simple, basic Baby Christianity 101, Jesus' followers. He said, if you're going to be a follower of me, as we said in Matthew 28, verse number 19, go to all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. He was baptized, not because he had to. And he says, we are to be baptized. So I'm asking you, have you been baptized? One thing here, write it down. What is baptism? Baptism is simply, write it down, it's physically where a person goes into a body of water and they're submerged. I mean, that's physically what baptism is, right? I mean, don't make it complicated. That's what it is. Very simple, okay? Mark 1, 4, and 5, actually, yeah. It says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. The word remission means forgiveness. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, uh, confessing their sins. So answer me the question, does it matter where you are baptized? Very good. Does not matter. Don't get hung up, ladies and gentlemen, on the method. Don't do that. Keep the big picture. I've ba- and I'll baptize folks anywhere they want to be baptized. I baptized them in prison, maximum security. I baptized them in hospitals. I've baptized them in pools. I've baptized them in, in, in lakes. I baptize them when you have the, the high and fancy indoor baptistries. You know, I baptize them a lot of different. So don't get hung up on that. Just be obedient to the Lord. Acts chapter 8, verse number 38. Here's another passage I want to read to you. So he, that's talking about Philip, commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the, verse number 39, please, yeah, or the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. So here's Philip talking to an Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch is uh, converted. He says, now, where is there some water where I can be baptized? And the eunuch 
the eunuch looks over at the chariot and there's some water. He says, well, there's some water. What hinders me now from being baptized? And immediately they went down into the water and was baptized. So there's two occasions. One was baptized in probably like a, 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 a pond and the other one was kind of baptized in the River Jordan. So I've given you two different examples of this. The location doesn't matter if you're baptized in the Jordan River. It don't make it any more special then you're baptized in Beaver Lake. It's not the location, it's the individual. Number two is what is the purpose of baptism? What is the purpose? Verse number nine is what I was want to give you there for that because it gives us a public display of what Jesus did for us and what he is doing for us. It's a symbolic picture. It's a physical picture of an inward reality. Jesus would never ask us to do something that he didn't do. He left us an example and that we might follow his way. So baptism is connected to Jesus's death and his resurrection. Write that down. Baptism is connected to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Luke chapter 12, verse number 50. Six months before Jesus dies upon the cross, he makes this statement. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Now notice that. He saw his death and resurrection as what? A baptism. And the Bible says that he was distressed. What's that word distress mean? It means distraught. It means troubled. So he saw his, 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 his work, death and resurrection, as a baptism. But he knew in the end that it was all going to work out for good. But oh, the darkness that he had to walk to get there. So when you're baptized, what are you doing? You're joining in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's what you're doing. Who did Jesus die for? Answer it, or everyone. Let me ask you this question. Whose sins did he bury and forgive? Everyone's, whether they accept it or not. He's already forgiven. They just have to accept it, right? Let me ask you a third question. Who did Jesus rise for? Everyone. Very good. Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse number 20, the apostle Paul says this, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2, verse number 20. So my point being, the understanding here is that when you put your faith in Jesus, instantly you are on the cross with him. Now get that instantly. There's, no t- There's been about 2,000 years since Jesus died upon the cross, right? But when you place your faith at that moment, you instantly went back to the cross, and you are there with him, dying on the cross with him, going to the grave, being buried with him. And guess what? When he rose in victory, you rose with him. That is all pictured in the baptism of a believer of Jesus Christ. The time gap from a person's conversion to Jesus dying, buried, and resurrection from the dead, the time from the cross to the moment that you trust 
instantly meets. Keep going. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection." So Paul's point here is clear. Something life-changing happened in your life as a believer. You can't die and rise again without it changing your life. Colossians chapter number uh, uh, 2 verse number 7 says, Buried with him in, say it, baptism buried in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So baptism is illustrating what? It's illustrating that when you go under the water, you you are illustrating that you are dying just like our Lord died. The water covers you over. And guess what? Unless you're a fish, you can't breathe water, and you're going to die. Shake your head. Okay. That's what it symbolizes, that you are joining in with your Lord. Now, he's not asking you to go to the cross. He never will. But he is asking you symbolically to do what he did. Join me. Show them what I did, and you're obedient, obedient, and you're going to proclaim it to everyone. I'm going to die just like my Lord. That's what you're saying. You're preaching without even saying a word. And you're going under that water and you're going to die. But who raised Jesus from the dead? All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were all involved in his resurrection. There are passages to prove that. Only God has the power to raise the dead. Amen? And he was raised to newness of life. And when you're raised from that watery grave, guess what? You're symbolizing just like it was for, for Jesus's ministry. Boy, after his baptism, what began to happen? Things began to happen. He initiated his public ministry. It's talking to that you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're doing everything within your power and your ability to follow your Lord as closely as you can. You want to identify with Jesus. You don't want to separate yourself from him. We were buried with Jesus and buried under the water and we're also going to be raised with him and raised up out of the water. Number three, write this down. Number three, write this down, please. Does baptism guarantee your entrance into heaven? Write that down. It may be in your outlines. If it's not, please write it down. Some folks, they will refer to a scripture in the Bible. It's Mark 16, 16. And it says this. Let's read it together. He who believes, this is Jesus speaking, and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. That goes back to our Ephesians scripture and fits so well with it. That says, forced by grace through faith that we are saved. So what condemns a person to hell? Say it, lack of faith. I ask people, Doug, I don't know whether I'm saved or not. I say, where do you have your faith? It's all about faith. I can take it as scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. And even this scripture says at the very end of it, if you don't believe, you will be condemned. 
It's where you have your faith. So, Doug, technically, could I go to heaven without being baptized? Say it. Answer that question. Yeah. Because it's based upon what? Very good. I'll give you an A this morning. So, baptism is not essential for salvation, but it is essential in obedience. Okay? 